Good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Spreaker Radio Network and simulcasting on free conference call. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. This program is meant to provide natural healing information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional, assuming you can find one. I search for and present to my listener natural modalities that simply assist and augment the body's ability to heal itself. The body wants to fix itself. The body knows how to fix itself. It has a God-given innate ability to do so. The only thing it's missing is the raw materials. And when you put those back into the mix, stand back and wait to be amazed because your body's going to do some really cool stuff. Now you can visit my website at yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do it yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H. And there's all kinds of information there. All the products we talk about are there, including the iTeraCare device, which is featured prominently at the top of the homepage. And it just so happens that we have an end-of-summer special going on that has been extended through the 24th, which is this coming Sunday. And uh, you can get two classic wands for $500, which is a $260 savings. Uh, Not too shabby. And the information is on the website. Just go to yourdiyhealth.com. And right at the top of the homepage, you'll see the information on the uh, device. And there's a, a thing there saying it about or talking about the special, uh, telling you how to go about placing the order if you want to get two wands for 500. Of course, you can still get one for 380, uh, but uh, for 120 dollars more, it's kind of a no-brainer not to grab a second to have as a spare or as uh, one that you can lend out to folks and that kind of thing. But uh, no matter how you slice it, you need at least one in every household. And these things are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, You can go back and listen to yesterday's show um, where we had uh, testimonials and that kind of stuff to get an idea of what these things are capable of. Uh, Basically, all they're doing is providing terahertz frequencies to your body, and your body takes that stuff and uses it to fix itself. And it's been fixing all kinds of things. We've seen people with... uh, results of their cancers going away uh, um, uh, kidney disease disappearing and all kinds of stuff um, simply by drinking the wanted water and using the wands themselves and it's not that these things are medical devices or are healing anything they're basically just giving the body the raw materials that it needs and it takes those things and fixes itself accordingly so anyway check out special on the website and um while you're on the main site be sure and hit the radio shows tab and at the top of the page you'll see the link to our archive page set up through castbox.fm and if you scroll down a little further you'll see the information on the shows we do when they're on and how you listen excuse me and then at the bottom of the page is the link to the facebook page set up for the show as well as the telegram channel and all the stuff that we do we put on telegram and it's there indefinitely all you have to do is scroll around a little bit to find things um but uh, that's one of the best places to put all that stuff and uh, i recommend it uh, that you check it out become a member and that kind of thing but anyway um 
Keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Spreaker Radio Network, Free Conference Call, their owners or sponsors, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say in this show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only, so that as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping-off point to do your own research and due diligence to make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. Now, that being said, um, I have uh, been wanting to show this um, for quite some time. I recently came across a... um, uh, video on epic times called farmageddon it's a documentary talking about the attack that's being made on uh holistic and organic farmers and that kind of thing in this country and i'm currently setting up the sharing so the folks on the uh, free conference call will be able to view it there we go and um, this is going to take up about an hour and a half so a lot of the show but i think it's well worth it it's a great video and we're going to go ahead and get her started now here we go i came around the corner i was at the top of the stairs and what i saw from at the top of the stairs was a man right here around the corner with his arm like this and a gun pointing up at me all I could see was a black hat and a black jacket, and that's all I could see in the gun. And I stood there thinking that this was the serial killer, and he's yelling at me, come down now, ma'am, come down right now. They came with the director of, of uh, milk control, the, the uh, assistant director, um, yeah. and our inspector and they all came and pretended they were just going to do an inspection and then they did a seizure. They showed up at 5.30 in the morning in the middle of a blizzard and they had 42 armed federal agents and USDA officials and they cleared out our entire barn. They took the sheep that we brought from Belgium and the Netherlands. They even took the sheep that I had brought over from New Zealand and they took them out to Iowa and they killed them for a disease that doesn't exist to this day. There are two competing food systems in America. First, you have the industrial system, factory farms and agribusiness. Then, there's the local system, consisting of small, sustainable farms and artisanal producers. Sadly, most food production laws are designed to support the industrial operations. And the current U.S. agricultural policies could potentially destroy our local food system. I'm Kristen Canty, mom of four. The reason I set out to make this film is because when one of my sons was four years old, he was a very sick child with allergies and asthma. Conventional medicine wasn't helping him. So I did some research 
and found out raw milk could be a remedy. I gave my son raw milk and his allergies completely disappeared. I had to go directly to a small farm to get our raw milk. And I started buying grass-fed meats, eggs, vegetables, and fruits from a number of small local farms. As I got to know these farmers, they told me they were encountering a variety of legal problems from both the state and federal authorities. I quickly realized that my ability to buy the healthy foods I want could be in jeopardy. The industrial food system is growing and becoming more powerful. But the small, independent food system is in danger of vanishing. Every time there is a major shakeup in the food system, local food takes a hit. And so now we have bills winding their way through Congress, for example, that would give the Food and Drug Administration uh, the right to conduct warrantless searches on farms to find out if anything is being done that is not science-based. Well, science-based, you know what science-based is? Science-based is uh, petroleum-based fertilizer, herbicides, pesticides, um, antibiotics, uh, irradiation, uh, cloning, that's all science-based. You know, food safety has been hitting the headlines a huge amount. And I think most people who look at it agree that there are huge food safety problems with our mainstream system. You know, it's wrong when people die from eating peanut butter. That shouldn't happen. And it happens because there are huge flaws in the mainstream food safety system. The problem is right now that Congress has sort of taken this attitude of we've got to do something about food safety and they're out to regulate everything and everyone to the tiniest detail. And so instead of focusing on the real problems, instead of directing FDA to really enforce, to really regulate and inspect these huge facilities, which is where all of the major foodborne illnesses have been traced back to, they're saying everyone who processes food must be registered with the government. They have to pay fees. And when you regulate like that, you're going to drive these people out of business and then consumers won't have any other options. The only option consumers will be left with is the grocery store chains buying from these huge processing plants, which is where these problems keep getting traced back to. Our regulations are barking up the wrong tree. We absolutely have um, problems in this country around food safety and food security, but um, for regulators to prohibit small-scale, uh, diversified, production and processing of food when there's absolute ev evidence that that is the safest, most secure way for us to feed ourselves as a society. And to let uh, huge corporations that are poisoning us um, scot-free is uh, c completely ridiculous. Now, I think somebody should have the choice if they want to, to uh, eat something that's bad for them. That's their choice. But I want to have the choice to eat something that I believe um, is good for me. And that belief comes from thousands and thousands of years of human experience. I sell a lot of leafy greens to gardeners and plants like chards. I no longer trust them because they're coming out of the Wilmette Valley over on the west coast and they're surrounded by GMO chards and beets. I think that government needs to step up to the plate and require that everything that has a GMO product in it, any kind of food, is labeled and every single seed that goes out there has to be labeled that it's GMO-free. 
government's not going to do it. It's not in their interest. Well, I think that that there's a real struggle for the government to try and make a one-size-fits-all um, kind of approach to food safety, and that's just not going to work because. You know, we have like maybe 2% of the farms that are smaller. It used to be only only small farms. So there's a, there's got to be a way that we can protect biodiversity. We can, we can show that sustainable farming is the only way forward. And so we need to be transitioning and thinking about protecting those farms and even growing those farms and, and bringing more farmers into the picture. The regulations for the little farm say it's one farmer it takes as long to do all the paperwork as it does to do the farming. That's okay for a huge company that employs one person to do that all the time and then has a lot of other people working, but for one little farmer, he doesn't have time to farm because he's got to do all the paperwork. The federal government took hold of it and went, we've got to make sure it's even more burdensome for the small guy and nothing for the big guy, because that's what the federal government does. It takes care of the top of the pyramid. There is a, 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 I believe, a misperception by many that local equals safe and large equals unsafe. I think that's wrong. Um, I think we have got large people who are very safe and small local farmers who are very safe and, the, and vice versa. So it's a mixture. And you can't simply write legislation that is going to apply to a multi-billion dollar multinational company and expect it to fit to somebody who's a local farmer in Maryland um, or Massachusetts, it isn't gonna work. I have to do so much paperwork in order to be certified organic. That's sort of okay, but it's three inches of stuff I have to submit in order to sell this stuff as certified organic. I don't resent being inspected. I resent the amount of work that I have to do. It's not productive. I would like to see chemical farmers have to go through this baloney and tell their customers what kind of chemicals they're using on their food that people are consuming. That's never going to happen. If you look at the statistics, there are many fewer small farms today than there were 40 or 50 years ago. So uh, the, the, the government really has encouraged kind of factory farming, uh, big ag. I think that the freedom to to be able to eat what you want is absolutely critical. And, um, you know, part of it is the freedom to be able to get what you want, you know, naturally grown foods that are, you know, that are organic, that are clean, and, and also knowing what you're getting. It is alarming these days to hear more and more about what's happening with farmers and certain restrictions, and they're running into trouble with the government when the people who are producing sort of the most unnatural processed foods are just running along producing all that stuff, whereas the people who are trying to do things, you know, the, the most natural way, as it's been done for years, are all of a sudden running into all of these roadblocks. And to the extent that that makes it more difficult for us to get that product is really scary. It's scary and it's sad. I'm Linda Felice and I studied man-cow disease over in England. I worked with Professor Eric Lamming, who was the advisor to the EU and the British governments on man-cow disease and how to deal with it and how to make public policy dealing with man-cow disease. 
My husband Larry, he has a PhD in animal science and he was doing a postdoc in England while I was working with Professor Lamming and he came across the British Sheep Dairy newsletter and we knew that we wanted to work together, we wanted to do something in agriculture and something that would be financially viable with our children. And when he found the British Sheep Dairy newsletter, he said, that's it, we're going to milk sheep. And I said, we're going to milk what? Because at that time I didn't even realize you could milk sheep. And so in 1993, we moved to Vermont. So we worked with the USDA for three years, brought over sheep from Belgium and the Netherlands, and set up a, a family sheep farm. When we brought the sheep over, they had to go through two months quarantine over in Europe and a month quarantine here in the United States, so that if there was any transmissible, communicable diseases. So a whole series of tests were run on the sheep while they were over in Europe, and the same tests were repeated here. All the sheep passed with flying colors. First of all, there's no sheep in the world that's ever had mad cow disease. Second of all, we know what these animals ate because the theory was that BSE or mad cow disease was transmitted through contaminated feed from ground up cattle being put made into meat and bone meal and then being put into cattle feed and into sheep feed and we knew that none of the shepherds had ever used any feed that had any meat and bone meal plus these animals were lambs when they came in so most of the feed that they had eaten was their mother's milk and USDA, they kept telling us that they wanted us to surrender the animals. And we were approaching it from a scientific way. And so USDA showed up at our farm and put us put the animals under a quarantine. And when Wayne Zelenga showed up, state vet for Vermont, showed up at our farm, he handed us the quarantine papers and he said, I don't mean this as a threat, but let me tell you, if you tell anybody about this, you go to the media, you get greedy, you ask for a bunch of money, we're gonna put you out of business and don't think we haven't done it before. When we were threatened, we went quiet for an entire year. We didn't tell anybody. We told my parents and Larry's parents and that was it. So here we're part of this great organic group of farmers working together and we're seeing them day to day and we can't even tell them these sheep are being quarantined under fear of mad cow disease. And it was a really, really tough year. We brought over three European scientists and we had a meeting down in Washington at USDA. So the three Europeans all presented their information. They said, okay, this is what's going on in Europe. There's not a single sheep being killed under suspicion of mad cow disease. The flocks that the animals were imported from, they've all been continued to be surveilled. They're all perfectly healthy. Everything showing that our sheep were not a risk. And so then we opened up for questions and it was silent. No one said anything. And finally, Linda Detweiler's boss, Alfonso Torres said, look, I'm really sorry, but we're under political pressure and you're gonna have to surrender your animals. The people that have the money are the packers, the slaughterhouses, and the feedlots. And that's who control the beef industry, and that's also who controls USDA. Because there's a whole revolving door of people that go from the pharmaceutical and the beef industries, they have positions there, they go into USDA, they get legislation passed or whatever their pet project is, and they just go back and forth working between the two. From a 
science perspective, from a, from a medical perspective, mad cow disease doesn't infect sheep. Sometimes what, what happens with these situations is when federal authorities embark on a track, um, it's mighty difficult to turn it around because there is, well, we're not going to back off. We don't want to lose face. And much as we all like to think of food safety is based on science and exclusively science, there's inevitably political overtones, there's, there's social overtones, there's societal pressures on the way food safety is, is run, operated, and, and, and in the way that inevitably regulators are going to interact with, with the companies that they regulate. Can't be helped. Our son was 15 years old at the time. He was a huge James Bond fan. And he comes to us and he says, Mom, Dad, we're being watched. And we're like, Francis, you know, this is stressful, but don't be paranoid. He's like, no, no, I know we're being watched. I'm like, how can you tell that you're being watched? Well, I see these cars going by and they slow down and they watch me and sometimes they're parked. And we're like, well, this is a tourist area. It could be anybody. He's like, no, Mom, the cars are clean. Because in Vermont, nobody has a clean car. And, and they wore ties. And they wore ties. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> you know, then we started increasingly, customers would come in the store and say that they saw these guys parked up at the Vista, and they were just being seen more and more. And, you know, here we were being doing sheep farming and running a little country store. And, you know, what were they watching for? What did they think we were going to do? When USDA was monitoring us, they spent over a million dollars watching us. And we would see these guys climbing in and out of the fences. And as part of the court case a few years ago, we received some of the diaries. And the day was broken down into 15-minute segments. And it said what each of the family members were doing, where were we, you know, who was at the store. Uh, Larry Felice and son Francis moved the sheep, missed one. Anyone in the valley that they saw that had a Save Our Sheep bumper sticker, they wrote down their license plates. And then they investigated them. They also did two criminal investigations of Larry. Linda Detweiler requested this. So the first one was to see if anything about the importation had been illegal. And then the sec and they couldn't find anything. So the second one was a personal criminal investigation to see if he had anything in his background. I married a clean one. <laughs> <laughs> We took USDA to court to stop them from seizing our sheep, and 17 days before our appeals court hearing, they showed up at 5.30 in the morning in the middle of a blizzard, and they had 42 armed federal agents and USDA officials, and they cleared out our entire barn. They took the sheep from, that we brought from Belgium and the Netherlands. They even took the sheep that I had brought over from New Zealand, and they took them out to Iowa, and they killed them for a disease that doesn't exist to this day. I can't wait another two weeks. Get a moving, people. They did a, a basically a lethal injection. They collected tissue samples, put them into this lye solution to make them disintegrate because they were acting like this was such a danger, even though there was absolutely nothing wrong with the sheep. Linda Detweiler received all the test results, and it showed that every single animal was negative.
and nobody knew about this except Linda Detweiler. We were unaware of these results. The media kept asking for test results. On August 3rd, 2001, the very same day that she got the test results, there was a press conference by USDA that said they had no test results and that it was going to be months that they had to build a new facility and that they wouldn't know for months until the results had come in. So they lied to everyone. Later that summer, uh, USDA said that they wanted to take all of our equipment, uh, take a lot of the pieces off of the barn, and basically take anything that we had that would allow us to continue in business. And so they Heather's brought a, milking parlor. Uh, Heather's milking parlor, you know, you name it. And so they brought a giant dumpster here, and uh, we filled that up with a lot of the stuff, the trailer they just took off. And what they told us is what they, they were taking everything uh, down to Massachusetts to be incinerated. And they were also taking the hay that we were producing off the land and saying that that was dangerous as well, and they needed to take that away and have that incinerated. Well, I became- And that went on for a couple months. Yeah, and I became really suspicious about that. So one day they came to get a load of the hay and I decided to follow the truck. And they went to the local landfill that's only a few miles away and they dumped it right into the landfill with everything else. So I guess they really didn't feel it was dangerous. And we found out later that uh, the USDA had all the test results that proved that there was nothing wrong with the sheep before they ever started bringing those dumpsters around. So they had all the evidence to show there was no danger whatsoever, as we all knew from the beginning, but they had the evidence, and yet they spent all this money and created this uh, facade of doing these things for public safety, and uh, um, all they were doing is dumping things in the local landfill and wasting more resources. When we were trying to get compensation, they waited till 18 months after the animals had been taken. And it cost us $5,000 a head to bring the animals in. They gave us a check that was 1300 per animal. And we said, why the discrepancy? Why didn't you pay us at least what you paid these other people? And they said, well, you chose to fight. USDA likes to instill fear. And so by giving people a gag order or telling them they can't talk about it, that makes it so that they feel that they can control it better. I knew we would win eventually. I didn't know if we could save the sheep and we didn't do that, but to be able to show that the whole thing was a complete fraud and premeditated and done on behalf of USDA's uh, uh, agribusiness sponsors and not for human health as they pretended it to be. And I know that I personally have lost all faith in agriculture within this country. This is one that Francis wrote. And it says, for me, the farm provides a sense of belonging and pride. The farm has allowed me to become much more responsible and active. Yeah, things are busy on the farm, but it's a good type of busy. It helps helps to make me more organized and prepared. I can do a lot of things outside the farm, but I've learned to fit it in. And I think so far I've done a good job. The farm helps to keep the family and I going from the money for, from it. It provides the things we need to live. My parents used to have a job outside of the house before we had a farm, but I like the farm because it allows me to be with my parents. And so each of the children, Francis was um, 14 at the time, and Jackie was 11, and you know, 
Jackie was particularly connected with the sheep, so she says about at first all the sheep, especially Ukafester, were, were very skittish, but eventually all the sheep got used to having me and my family around. Now they're so close to me. They're like little brothers and sisters. I do see an ominous trend because recently at a farmer's market, a farmer who was selling washed bag lettuce was cited and given a ticket. And they said this is a processed food. They're actually going onto the farm and telling farmers how to grow things. So if there's a leafy greens problem because a huge processing plant is bagging leafy greens and shipping it all over the country, all of a sudden your local farmer who's growing leafy greens for their CSA or growing leafy greens for the farmer's market are going to be subject to growing and harvesting standards created by federal bureaucrats who frankly get all of their information just about from large industrial conventional agriculture. One of the problems that small farmers have is expense. Um, there isn't a lot of government infrastructure that supports how hard it is to be a small farm. And that's something that perhaps has always been true, but increasingly since the 50s, we've watched it really eat away at a lot of the land that we have um, that's being very well curated by small farmers and organic farmers. As farms like ours resonate with patrons who are yearning in their soul and their bodies are craving for real food and they eat this food and realize, wow, this is actually food that I can pronounce what's on the label and that I can actually make in my kitchen. You know, that's a pretty amazing thing that now 95% of what Americans eat, you can't pronounce and you can't make it in your kitchen. Real food like butter, like real milk, like eggs have been made the devil in the world of uh, food to the point where people are afraid to eat real food. And unfortunately, the result of that is 72% of the country is obese or overweight. We have heart disease, cancer, and diabetes rates at all-time highs. And every year, it's getting worse. We should be able to eat and drink whatever we choose to and feed that to our family. I believe that just as you can buy raw meat and choose to eat it raw, which many people do, or you have a warning label and you can cook it. I don't understand why we can't buy raw dairy products and either choose to boil them ourselves or choose not to. Although I do understand why, because if that was the case, then the agricultural system would have to start producing real food instead of contributing to the problem. If you look at the statistics between 1970 
And now the, U the U.S. has lost 88% of its dairy farms. More than any other single food, raw milk is what draws the consumer to the farm. Once they get there, they might buy uh, meat, poultry, produce, but raw m milk is what initially causes them uh, to set food on the farm. You know, there's a, there's a urban legend going around about raw milk is not good for you, it's dangerous. You know, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for raw milk because all of my ancestors had nothing but raw milk. Raw milk used to be an American staple, but once the pasteurization process came into being, everybody sort of switched over to that. Now raw milk is seen as something that's new. You can get sick from any food, but raw milk is inherently safe. There are dozens of components in raw milk that kill pathogens and at the same time strengthen your own immune system. These are in the milk and a lot of them are in the fats in the milk. That's why we never, we always say drink whole milk. Don't, don't drink skim milk, but drink whole milk much, much safer to drink whole milk, raw or pasteurized. Raw milk does prevent uh, illnesses. In particular, it prevents uh, asthma exacerbations, eczema exacerbations, allergic rhinitis exacerbations, and it does so by stabilizing that mast cell or allergy cell and preventing it from releasing the histamine. So why is so much of our milk pasteurized? In the mid-1800s, children became sick and died after drinking milk from swill dairies. The rotten milk came from cows crowded into filthy stables built next to beer and whiskey distilleries. The cows were fed spent grain from the distilleries rather than grass, and the blue-colored milk they produced was enriched with flour and chalk to make it appear fresh. It wasn't fresh. It was deadly. The outlying of swill dairies, the advent of refrigeration, and the certified clean raw milk movement made milk safe again. Around this time, it was also discovered that pasteurization killed bacteria in milk. Pasteurized milk and clean raw milk were produced and sold side by side until the 1930s when milk production became more industrialized. And state governments supported the move towards pasteurization and passed laws making it harder to get raw milk. Over time, consumers accepted this move to pasteurized milk and the health benefits of fresh raw milk were largely forgotten. Even though raw milk's health benefits are widely accepted as scientifically proven, state and federal health officials warn that it is too dangerous to drink. Our bodies nowadays are more used to a lower bacteria count. There will be lots of problems if you have raw milk. It is essentially better for you because if you just alone look at the enzymes and vitamins and nutrients in it, but it's, the pasteurization is a safeguard. Raw milk is whatever comes out of the cow. Uh, if it's very clean, it's a, it's a great product. If it's not, people are going to get sick. It, it's too dangerous to really, to really uh, do that without a pasteurization. Raw milk, yeah, it's got, it's got microbes in it. Most of those microbes um, 
that we get exposed to and that live in our gut are harmless. They, they don't make us sick. Um, and even if they do, there's probably just low levels that, that if it's just a low level of exposure, it's not necessarily life-threatening or a huge problem. But there are microbes that get into milk that we know can be deadly. Severe gastrointestinal illness, kidney failure, strokes, and death. And the, the bug I'm talking about is E. coli 0157. It's rare. It's not an everyday occurrence in every gallon of raw milk that you buy. It's like you're playing Russian roulette with the, with the milk at some horribly high odds ratio. But it is a risk. The state of Maryland does not allow the sale of raw milk directly to the consumer, and that does include the cow sharing programs. And this is in concert and agreement with the Federal Drug Administration, FDA, CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Medical Association, the U.S. Animal Health Association, the World Health Organization, and the reason why the state of Maryland does not allow the sale of raw milk is raw milk can contain a wide variety of pathogens, which are disease-causing agents. I became a raw milk activist because raw milk was banned in my state. I live in Maryland, and initially, when we first started drinking fresh milk, we participated in a cow share program. Now, a cow share is very similar to a timeshare, where families will go in together on a cow and then get the milk from their own animal. And that was legal in Maryland when we first started drinking, but then the health department changed the regulations to ban that. That really upset me, because here I am trying to feed my children as healthfully as I can, and the health department is completely undermining my authority as a parent, all my research, and saying, you don't know what you're doing, and, and you can't give this to your family. Now, I can go out and feed them fast food three times a day. I've been through four pregnancies. I could smoke through all of them, and yet I can't go to a farmer near me and purchase this amazing, healthful, nutrient-dense, fresh milk. I'm Steve, and this is Barb Smith. We live in, uh, on about 150 acres on a ridge overlooking Seneca Lake, in, which is one of the Finger Lakes in central New York. Uh, we have about 30 cows, and we milk nine of them. We have two draft horses, about 10 chickens. Um, two pigs. Two pigs. And nine kids. And nine kids, yeah, <laughs> raising nine kids. We decided to uh, form a community-supported dairy where we would uh, have a small herd of cows and milk it and then distribute that milk to the members of this group. We did that and we had a hundred members or so, but ag and markets uh, did not like that. They 
came and inspected us with several warrants. Uh, they tried to get us for contempt of court. They did several court actions to stop us from milking cows and distributing milk privately to members of our uh, community-supported dairy. The state of New York started to escalate enforcement actions against the Smiths. First, they would send in inspectors to the Smiths' farm and say, you need a permit for what you're doing. And the Smiths would say, no, we don't need a permit. The Department of Ag and Markets would then levy administrative fines against the Smiths. The Department of Ag and Markets would then go in and try to uh, execute a search warrant against the Smiths. Ag and Markets would confiscate some dairy products and order it to be destroyed. So they escalated these enforcement actions against the Smiths over the course of about a year. Ag and Markets is the Department of Agriculture and Markets in New York State. That's what they call it. It's a different name in each state. And um, in their, theoretically, I looked a little bit through their, the history of Ag and Markets, and it, theoretically they were established to um, support farmers so the agricultural products could get to markets and do anything they could to further that. Obviously that's not what they're doing. The Ag and Markets kept saying, we have to inspect one more time, we have to. And so finally Gary thought, well, all right, we'll give them one more inspection. They came with the director of, of uh, milk control, the, the uh, assistant director, um, wow. and our inspector, and they all came and pretended they were just going to do an inspection, and then they did a seizure. that uh, was seized and labeled. We had uh, a few shelves full of yogurt in here at the time, and I don't think they had any uh, legal way to ban us from making raw milk yogurt other than to go through this inspection and say that it was uh, unfit for human consumption. In their estimation, this place was so filthy that food fit for human consumption could not be made here. So they condemned the lot, they condemned about five gallons of milk and uh, uh, put a, they had this fancy red uh, seizure notice. I can still see where it was taped on here. And they taped it across the handlebars so that we couldn't uh, open the cooler without breaking their seal. So they took all of our yogurt and milk that they put, they locked into the cooler with these locks saying we couldn't touch it and all that. The only farm crop that's regulated more than raw milk is uh, marijuana. And uh, it just <laughs> seems ridiculous. Um, it was very hard for the family. The kids were terrified. They were um, scared for a long time of uh, someone else coming because we could, we, even though we tried not to act too paranoid, we had to talk about things like, next time they come, what are we going to do? In most of the states that uh, allow farmers to sell raw dairy direct from the farm, like places like Pennsylvania and New York State, they can only sell milk. And the, the, ration, the reason that uh, they can't sell you know, butter and cream and, and uh, cheeses and so forth, is that those are considered to be processed 
foods. And the more processing that's done in, the, in, their, in the view of the agriculture authorities, the more chance there is for contamination. Throughout the making of this film, I tried to contact numerous government officials to give the other side of the story. I decided to travel to Albany, New York, to confront the State Department of Ag and Markets to discuss the Smith case. You came unannounced. If I come back, we can make an appointment, but one okay. of the things is, is that we have to get through these court cases in order to talk about these issues. But their, is, their, their case is closed. It is not closed. They have the opportunity the... to appeal, oh, which I was right. just informed of when I just went to our attorneys and said, hey, they're asking about this. I just want to make sure, you know, what can we say? Because we are looking into the question that you asked on the email about why. But the why digs up. I mean, this All right. is what? a law from 1938. So right. we... the. The law is in place. You asked about why. Right. Why? Okay, good question. Legislative history, why did this law even pass in 1938? Those are the things we're looking into that question for you. Okay. But that was also part of the court case, which they can appeal. All right. What about if we didn't address that issue at all and just address the issue of the yogurt and the cream? That, and that was, par that was part of the Smith. court case. That was part of the court so case. So even yes. though... I can't talk about that today. Even though it's just general policy. Like, it's just your policy. But it relates to the court case. People from the government don't really want to talk for some reason, which bums me out because I think that if you feel strongly enough to shut down a farm, that you should be able to talk about it. The Department of Agriculture and Markets here in New York um, does allow uh, the sale of raw milk. We're one of uh, 28 states, I believe, that allow the sale of raw milk at our farms with certain protections in place in order to protect both consumer and the producer. And so that means strict regulations and requirements on behalf of the producer, limited sales, and those are things that we feel strike a balance in between protecti protecting both producer and consumer. And so we are very open to uh, communication with our producers um, about the challenges and opportunities of selling raw milk here in New York State. We will continue to do those, um, to have those conversations once this lit litigation is closed. As an attorney and a former government employee, I need to point out, I'm scratching my head trying to figure out why is this so important to the government? Why are they cramp stamping down on, you know, the little guy? Why don't they go after the foods that are inherently dangerous? So to me, that's the $64,000 question is, what's motivating these governmental officials to crack down on small family farms? Are they being financed by big agribusiness? Are they being financed by the dairy industry? What's causing all this? Do these government officials come from big agribusiness companies and then go into government? Because we live near Ithaca and Cornell is the you know, big employer down there, a majority of our members are somehow connected with Cornell. A lot of them are in the sciences. These are all very educated people who, they're not people who don't know the difference between raw milk and pasteurized. They're, they're making very deliberate decisions to uh, drink raw milk. So it's kind of funny because I think about taking them all to the judge and saying, would you all stand up and introduce yourselves? <laughs> and uh, that case is still on appeal and we hope that uh, some judge will be able to decide that this is uh, a legal private enterprise.
I think raw milk being illegal is an absolute travesty. It's extremely helpful and the science behind it is um, pretty compelling. And I think that what we need more of in this country, and I think what we can all agree upon, is the ability to make choices for ourselves, um, choices for our family and everything else. I think that's what makes it so great. The public health establishment should do a lot more to educate dairy farmers on how to produce raw milk safely so that people, consumers that want to obtain raw milk can obtain it. And those who don't want to obtain raw milk don't have to buy it. Raw milk is regulated on the state level. And that's why we see such a hodgepodge of laws regarding raw milk. In some states like California, you can buy raw milk in stores. In some states, you can buy raw milk directly from a farmer. In some states, it's illegal for anyone to sell raw milk. I, I do want to state that it's illegal nowhere to buy, possess, or consume raw milk. The FDA requires that if milk is sold across state lines, it does have to be pasteurized. So if a state does allow the sale of raw milk, that milk has to stay within the state. It cannot be sold over state lines. There's a, a terrible regulation out. Um, it's uh, been on the books for over 20 years that prohibits uh, raw milk uh, for human consumption uh, from crossing uh, state lines. My name is Eric Wagoner. I'm the market manager for Athens Locally Grown. And, uh, everybody shows up at one spot in Athens on a Thursday afternoon to, uh, to meet the, the produce from the growers to the customers. And this last week on Thursday, uh, when we arrived at the pickup location, there were several uh, inspectors from the Department of Agriculture waiting for us. And uh, they were there. They were from the meat division. I think they might have been looking for uh, looking at the meat products to make sure everything was legal there, which uh, of course it is. And uh, in the process of looking at that, they entered my truck and uh, found a bunch of coolers, raw milk from South Carolina, USDA grade uh, licensed dairy, uh, a uh, imminent health hazard according to the state of Georgia. I, I believe that the, the freedom to choose your own food is very important and I like knowing where my food comes from. So I would like to have raw milk sales in the state of Georgia and allow dairy producers to make that choice of whether they want to provide that to the consumer. I understand that the government wants to protect us and I understand that the people that that made the laws felt like that was the only way to go. And if, you know, cows are, are grain-fed, sure, that might be the only way to go. But, but we know that grass-fed cows produce really nice milk. So what we want to do, Denise was there on Thursday to just witness that everything is the way that it was on Thursday. In the, uh, with the, the gray hair is Peggy. She's the director of the dairy division. Uh, and uh, the lady in the blue jean jacket is from the FDA. Uh, she's a uh, federal agent. And uh, uh, the tall gal in black is a uh, uh, state dairy, uh, meat inspector. So you just want me to haul it out and yes. pour it out? Yes, please. So can we get our milk? I mean, that's my milk on that truck. No, ma'am. It's got to be destroyed. 
but I paid for it. I think people can pour out their own gallons if they want to. As long as it's poured out, you can hold it and pour it out. Mine was actually technically already paid for. Eric, does the milk go all the way back to the bottom? It goes all the way back, yeah. It's what I use for my cornbread. Um, it's what I use for making my cheese, cottage cheese, my butter. I've been working with Locally Grown for a while now, and I've never heard of a single person getting sick on the raw milk that they've purchased there. Or anything else. But, or anything else, actually. <laughs> but if they did, it would be much easier to trace back where that problem was than, say, you know, milk that came from who knows where and has been shipped all over the country. Right. And The milk from 10,000 cows mixed together in a vat, mm -hmm. and then trying to find the problem. Millions of people, theoretically, could be ill before you even know how <laughs> could track it. Uh, well, they came and uh, made us dump all the milk and, and left. And uh, they were very, very clear that there's absolutely no wiggle room, that uh, federal law prohibits someone from crossing state lines, buying milk from a dairy, and bringing it back for their own personal use in their own home. So I'm not sure where we go from here. Um, there's a lot of questions still up in the air. Uh, some folks, uh, folks that own the milk that was on this truck are wondering how it was they were able to, to search and seize without warrants. Uh, so that might need to be resolved. And the other issue of how they have jurisdiction at all uh, if somebody were to go and buy it for their own personal use in their own home. You can't get angry about it. You have to understand what it is, what it is. This is their way of doing business. They'll degrade anybody they possibly can. They'll ruin anybody they possibly can to keep an agenda of where everybody's at in the narrow parallels. And don't you dare get outside the line. When I go to Pennsylvania for my milk, I'm getting most of my food there. You know, I've got four kids. I don't have time to go to a different farm for every item. So the Maryland farmers are missing out on so much more than just milk. The, the meat, the eggs, the chicken, all those purchases are happening in Pennsylvania as well because of the ban on fresh milk in Maryland. Mark Knoll is a Mennonite farmer living in Pennsylvania. The government in Pennsylvania, however, doesn't like what Mr. Knoll is doing, and so they have repeatedly come to his farm, executed search warrants at his farm, confiscated some of his uh, production equipment, confiscated some of his raw dairy products, and to this day is continuing to harass him into getting a permit or a license.
so that he can, under the state's eyes, legally sell raw milk. actually asked the Department of Agriculture could he sell raw milk direct without a permit and the man in charge at that time said you can there is no law that says you have to have a permit uh, if you're selling privately directly well someone new came into the Department of Agriculture and he would never answer this farmers question but his reply came in the form of three raids on this farm. Mark Nold has been raided uh, several times by the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. I think it's uh, just an attempt to uh, send a message to uh, other farmers. I mean, there are a number of other farmers who were uh, uh, selling uh, raw milk uh, without permits in that state. And it's an attempt to uh, intimidate them into going along with um, Pennsylvania licensing requirements, which Mark uh, objected to because under the licensing requirements, he can only sell raw milk and raw cheese aged over 60 days. He can't sell other value-added products like uh, uh, buttercream and uh, uh, yogurt. And he, he thought he was a, an, un, an unjust law and uh, he exercised his conscience. And in all, I think they took about $65,000 worth of food and equipment. They terrorized the children. Uh, took the farmer away in handcuffs. Both the PDA and the FDA say that Mark refused to answer the citations that they, they served on him and so they had no choice in their view except to, to go and actually uh, arrest him, bring him in and um, uh, serve him with the citations and uh, in, in that way. Smile for the camera. My name is Mark McAfee. I'm the founder of Organic Pastures Dairy, and we have been selling and distributing a wide variety of organic raw dairy products that are grass-fed 
here in California for the last nine years or so. From our dairy here on 405 acres of uh, the wonderful fertile ground in San Joaquin Valley, uh, all certified organic with about 400 cows. The interesting thing is it's the entire food chain we manage, all the way from the earthworms and the dirt, the, the grass, um, the cows, the milking of the cows, the quality assurance of milking the cows, all the way through the cold chain, the creamery, the bottling, the business end of it, the distribution, the relationships with stores, the relationships with consumers most importantly. I, who had not consumed milk in probably 30 years because it just gave me stomach cramps, I drink it every day now. It's, it's just amazing. It's just amazing stuff. used to be there was only one kind of milk, it was just milk, nobody really thought about it. As people are learning that there's a difference and are beginning to ask what the difference is, the market has been expanding rapidly. I've been buying raw milk here at the farmer's market for uh, about uh, six months now. My main reason for purchasing it is it, uh, the ethical treatment of the uh, cows that it comes from. I know they're pastured cows, uh, they're not locked in pens where they're milked daily and fed uh, hormones or antibiotics. And uh, so that's, that's my reason for purchasing it, for the main point. But I wasn't sure, like, how exactly... Well, if you were drinking a pasteurized dairy product... Then it's we know that raw, but pasteurized milk is missing its complementary bacteria and its enzymes, which inhibit pathogen development. So if it gets in to the, to the pasteurized milk afterwards, the listeria gets in, you've got a real problem. And the FDA doesn't seem to think that that's a big thing. Um, because their response to that was not a big shutdown, not a big fine, not a big any media thing. It was just a whatever and go on. Um, and we see this time and time and time again, that, that it's okay uh, to kill people, but boy, you even come close to sniffing with, the, with raw milk and hang them high. As the call for fresh milk grows, so does consumer demand for pasture-raised beef, chicken, and lamb. I went to interview Joel Salatin, a Virginia farmer, who has written five books on the subject and is one of the forerunners of the movement. I'm Joel Salatin, uh, co-owner of Polyface Farms here in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Back it up a little bit. Back it up a little bit. Okay. That gives them gives them time to catch up with what you're doing. Okay. So right here is where they were yesterday, and you can see, you know, the manure that they've done. They've grazed it, they've eaten a lot of the grass, but they've dumped their manure, and then the, and then the shelter gets moved every morning. To another spot, then that's that's fresh. Hey birdies, that's fresh and new, no manure, um, fresh grass, fresh clover, what we call a fresh salad bar, and the birds then are able to um, to hit, stay ahead of their you know ahead of their manure, ahead of their excrement. They get they get their diapers cleaned every day, their linens clean, and uh, they get this fresh salad bar every single day. So it's a a very hygienic sanitary way and then of course the manure goes into the ground and if you you know if you just pivot around you can look right down here you can count back one 
two, here's three days. Okay, three, four, here's number, here's five. The manure is already, you know, stimulating the grass growth and you've got new growth in uh, confinement animal factory operations, CAFOs. Uh, these birds, of course, number one, they'd be in a great big, they'd be in a great big uh, uh, confinement house, you know, uh, 15,000 birds, a house that's the size of a, you know, a football field and a half. And of course they would have to bring, they bring in um, uh, wood shavings for, for some, a little bit of bedding, not much, just very little. And then you've got all this, uh, all this manure that builds up. And of course the chickens are in their own manure all the time, in their own excrement. They stay there their whole lives. That manure vaporizes, so they're breathing in, um, you know, fecal particulate dust their whole lives, which makes abrasions in their uh, mucous membranes of their respiratory system. That's why the industry has to give them antibiotics to deal with the, uh, with the abscesses and the lesions that are created in the mucous membranes from breathing in the fecal particulate uh, dust all the time. And of course, then when you're done, eventually you have to go in and you have to clean out all that litter and the manure. So there's a mechanical in with energy, a mechanical out with energy. And of course, all the time the birds are in a very unhealthy environment. So, you know, um, energy doesn't win, the farmer doesn't win, the birds don't win, the, the uh, eater doesn't win. You know, nobody wins in that system. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to just look at this and say, you know what, this is the way it ought to be. And one of the things I think it's important to understand here is, it's beautiful, you know, and good food production should be aesthetically and aromatically, sensually romantic. Whatever type of meat you eat, you want the grass-based meats because when you raise animals on grass, you maximize the levels of the fat-soluble activators, vitamins A, D, and K. One thing that ours have is conjugated linoleic acid. They have 300% more riboflavin. They have polyunsaturated fat. You can see right here where they were. They move them every two days. So they were right up there. So then we, you know, we take that fence up we set it up down here and then move them. Uh, and then there's another set of turkeys right over the, over the knoll right down there. So there's two sets of uh, 400 and some turkeys here uh, in two sets. Aren't they beautiful? Now, I may not be the richest guy in the world, but uh, man, what an office. You know, it's a great office. So we move the pigs every few days paddock to paddock. This course is the paddock we'll be going into. Light footprint. This is pigs the way they're supposed to be. <laughs> Years ago, every farm around here cured its own pork, its own hams. I mean, Virginia hams uh, cured pork. That, that was the thing that this area was known for. And um, all of us did it. But now you can only uh, sell it if it's cured in a federal inspected facility, which means we have to go from our federal inspected facility um, to another federal inspected facility to get it cured and then re-import it to the farm. And what that, 
what that means is that circuitous route and the processing cost that they charge us, even at $9 a pound, we don't make a penny on bacon because it's all eaten up in this regulated uh, processing. So, you know, people talk about, you know, your food is expensive or, you know, they, they and, and try to paint us as, as an elitist niche market because our food is higher priced. Most of the time, this higher pricing has nothing to do with, with production. It has to do with these non-scalable, capricious regulations that uh, keep us from being able to be efficient at accessing our neighbor with better food. If you're large, you have one set of issues. If you're small, you have a separate set of issues. We think each farm should be regulated based on its size and the type of production operation it's actually engaged in. You can't equate a slaughterhouse with Joel Salatin's Polyface Farm in Virginia. The two are completely different. My name is Mike Seymour. I'm a livestock farmer in upstate New York. I raise grass-fed beef, pork, sheep, and goats. All the animals are slaughtered at a USDA facility. Uh, we have to transport the animals an hour from the farm to a USDA facility twice a week, pick up the carcasses and bring back to our facility to process. I think it's a lot of work for what a USDA facility provides. It doesn't protect anybody from the, any of the diseases that they claim to. Uh, I used to work in a USDA facility. Uh, we had to go get our inspector upstairs a couple times a day because he spent most of the day in his office. And I worked at other facilities where the inspectors pretty much didn't do anything that they're supposed to do in the course of the day. We would point out things in the carcass they may want to look at. The U.S. has a big food safety problem. It just doesn't come from your small backyard operations. It comes from these huge slaughterhouses that, you know, pass cows, you know, at, you know, slaughter a cow every 30 seconds and can't possibly have the standards of human inspection and cleanliness that, um, that you do when you do it on the farm and you, you have one cow and you slaughter it for an afternoon or something. There's a desire on the part of the public to have grass-fed meats. We know that they're a lot healthier and um, they don't have all the antibiotics and toxins in them, but the, the big challenge for the farmer is getting these to market. And part of the problem is the lack of USDA-inspected facilities where people can go and have their meat butchered and then sell it directly to the public. Regulations generally serve as a vehicle for preventing small independent producers from providing the kind of food that, that, that people actually want to have. And what we have found in the past is that in general, regulations serve the large industrial co corporations. They do not serve small farmers and in effect, they do not serve the public. I'm Jackie Stowers. I run Manister House. It's a um, members-only co-op. In our co-op, you can order organic foods, um, foods um, that we actually go to farmers and bring back for people. Um, foods like eggs, uh, we do chickens, meat, uh, milk, different cheeses. This is the room where the members come and they pick up what 
um, products they, they, they come for. We put it all together for one or two days for them to all come and, and, and pick up in those one or two days. When you're here on a busy day, it's this whole room is packed. And some of us are in the back weighing and boxing things up, and then some of us are front talking to people to keep them, you know, keep all of us talking while we're waiting to get orders together. Our co-op has about 100, 120 members. Yeah, the Stowers case to me just seems about uh, control. I mean, you have this uh, private uh, cooperative, you know, no complaints to the public health department about them. The Stowers contention, the contention of many others operating similar uh, type cooperatives is that uh, this is a private uh, contractual arrangement. Uh, these are not sales uh, to member, members of the public and um, there should not be uh, state regulation. We had just got done probably with the most busiest time of the year for us. Um, the week before was Thanksgiving. From where I was upstairs I only heard uh, the dog barking but it, there was a knock on our door and Katie went to answer and um, she was handed um, a warrant and then, you know, moved to the side and, and they came in. I came around the corner, I was at the top of the stairs, and what I saw from at the top of the stairs was a man right here around the corner with his arm like this and a gun pointing up at me. All I could see was a black hat and a black jacket and that's all I could see in the gun. And I stood there thinking that this was the serial killer and he's yelling at me, come down now, ma'am, come down right now. When I got about halfway down, uh, someone handed me papers and I looked down and I saw, um, I, 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 it was very difficult to read because I had a man with a gun in front of me. All I could focus on is this man with a gun and my children. That was the only thing in my mind. Our son David was in another room on the other side of the house and he had a cell phone in his hand and someone, one of the sheriff's deputies, tried to take, the, you know, put his hand up and David kind of went like this and they shoved him, brought him down the steps and put him up against the wall. This is the room where we were held for six hours. Um, we had ten children in here, two adults. Most of the children were sitting on that couch and over here on this couch. And um, we had uh, deputies here and over here just watching us so that we couldn't, we couldn't leave this room without permission. My husband pulled up and they um, frisked him. And then they allowed him to come in the back room with us. During this time, our second son, Chad, was in Iraq. And he calls every day at 11.30, between 11 and 11.30, he would always call. And when the phone rang at 11.30, we had asked the, the deputies if we could please answer the phone, that that was probably him. They wouldn't let us. And it is, it's ironic that he's over there while we're over here. And any, any way that he, he would suffer any kind of post-traumatic distress syndrome from being there, we've here incurred the same thing upon us. The Ohio Department of Agriculture convinced the Court of Common Pleas here in Lorain County to issue a uh, search warrant. The Sheriff's Department and a SWAT team uh, came into the home of the Stowers and basically just held the family at gunpoint for about six or seven hours while ODA and the uh, local county health department conducted a search of uh, the house, the co-op, uh, computers were seized 
records were seized, and even the family's own personal food was seized. We um, had to deal for about a month, um, very intensely for two weeks with the children, um, with tremendous fears. Basically what, that, what they took was, I would say a little bit more than a whole cow that had just been processed for our family. Um, I think around 70 something whole chickens. Um, a whole, I think 22, 22 lambs, all of those slaughtered. The whole Stowers uh, dispute was over their failure to have a food establishment permit, which is required by the food code. That's a third degree misdemeanor. I mean, maybe the, the, the penalty might be a $500 fine. They sent out uh, a team, I guess, of at least 11 uh, policemen uh, to a peaceful family that had uh, harmed uh, no one. You know, it blows my mind that government steps into, like, man, a storehouse and regulate, you know, frozen meat or even, you know, products and cans when you have firearms out there and you have tobacco and alcohol out there and even have foods that people are allergic to, which causes death. Dear Jacqueline Stowers, I had heard what had happened to you and your family on December 1st. I am so sorry this happened to you, and I still can't figure out why someone would do this to you all. Please know there are folks, even in Idaho here, who are outraged and angry over what you all went through. I'm sending this small amount to help you and your family through this difficult time. This one's from, actually from Ireland. Uh, it says, Dear all, I just read about the raid on your co-op. As a co-op member of the best part of 30 years, interspersed with eight years of organic shop ownership, I am absolutely appalled as to what has happened to you. Being on, a, on the other side of the great pond, I don't really think there's anything I can do to help, but I just wanted to let you know that you have my sympathies and I hope justice will prevail and that you can continue your important work. Um, Slan Ute. The Stowers case continues to be litigated. The Ohio court found that their co-op needs a retail food license in order to operate. Their case is now on appeal. Rossum Foods originally started in a garage. It's been in business for about 12 years. We are a private membership club that doesn't serve the public. On June 30th, there was a knock at the back gate. I wasn't here at that moment. And uh, it was a SWAT-type team raid, which included the FBI, the FDA, the CDFA, and the health department, along with uh, half a dozen sheriffs. We were setting up shop in the morning like we usually do around 6, and I believe around 7, we got a knock at the back gate, and uh, there was police back there with a the search warrant. They said, we have a search warrant for the place. Please stand up against the fence, and they frisked all of us. I think there was about four or five staff members and they were all moved to the back of the property uh, the minute that they came in and uh, then they drew their guns, went down the property and of course you can see on our video surveillance system that they were very serious about uh, the guns being drawn. On the uh, search warrant it basically uh, is alluding to a felony in progress here and I'd like to know First of all, what felony? And second of all, 
in order to authorize a search warrant, you need uh, somebody that's complained or uh, somebody that was uh, irreparably harmed, and uh, those pages of the search warrant are missing. They came in and they were here for over five and a half hours. And on one of the things that we find interesting is that their search warrant authorizes the taking of vials of samples, which of course would fit in the soft-sided cooler that you would carry under your arm. And they came armed with 17 of their own large coolers and basically took thousands and thousands of dollars worth of product that weren't even named on the search warrant. The search warrant named both Sharon Palmer and Healthy Family Farms and Rossum Foods and James Stewart. That's on the search warrant. And Sharon was raided 20 minutes before we were on the same morning, June the 30th. We were just recently raided again for the third time, 6.30 in the morning, knock on the door, and my kids again ousted from their beds, and um, more humiliation. And, and they came with um, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, Los Angeles County District Attorney, Ventura County Sheriff's, CDFA, which is California Department of Food and Agricultural, Environmental Health from Ventura County, Building and Safety from Ventura County, CSI and um, all kinds of sheriffs and wearing their flak bulletproof jet jackets. And there was probably 40 to 50 people here um, just searching the farm, refusing to acknowledge that I was under supervision of California Department of Food and Agriculture and was not selling raw milk. The only milk that has ever left our farm was milk that was provided to a co-op in Santa Monica in California, and that's a co-op called Rossum Foods. And uh, they own 40 goats, and I had made an arrangement with them. It would help paying the bills and whatnot, uh, that if they bought the goats, that we would milk them, and they would come up every week and pick up their milk. And um, they gave us, uh, they paid us to make their cheese or their yogurt, and they would come up every Tuesday and pick up their cheese and yogurt. We've been processing food and eggs and cheese for now nine years and very, very, very happy customers and no one has ever been sick or we've never had a problem nor a complaint. And we, we have a lot of really happy people who depend on the farm for fresh, locally grown and organic food. The feelings that come over you First, or disbelief. You, you, you grow up in a, in a world where police and sheriff and, and law enforcement are good. And you watch the news every day and you read these stories and you say, oh, that person has to be an awful person to be raided or arrested. And then you're in this, those shoes and you, you sit back and you see yourself and you say, you work 12 to 14 hours a day you take care of animals, you take care of kids, you raise food, you do everything as best you can, and law enforcement has the right to come in and publicly humiliate you, ruin your business, take away all of your livelihood um, for a fact-finding mission. There we go, good girl. In order to get a certified organic dairy all of your animals have to be raised from the second day of life on your property. And everybody here, 
Um, myself and my kids have raised every animal here and bottle fed them. And so I was afraid um, that they would take all the dairy goats. So we found a farm um, in Northern California and um, we just moved all of our dairy goats up there. And so now the dairy's empty. And all we have is some of the pregnant mommies left and our babies. Why all of this happens and why they spend millions and millions of dollars raiding a small farmer in Ventura County for, for the fear of me maybe at one point selling raw milk. I say come here for, the, for a week or two and, and have a chat with the mothers and the children and everybody else who's been eating these foods for decades and, uh, and see that you're, you've been misinformed about what you think is harmful. It's not only not harmful, it's beneficial. I made this movie to be a cautionary tale for consumers. Our freedom to choose the healthy food we want to eat is in danger. Our government needs to stop harassing small farmers, small processors, and food buying clubs. We need to encourage farmers to produce safe meats, vegetables, fruits, and dairy products. And the public health establishment should support farmers' efforts to get these nutrient-dense foods to accessible markets. If I had one thing to say to the USDA and the FDA, um, I, my, my, I guess my question would be, why do you hate freedom so much? Why? What is it about freedom, whether it's a consumer's freedom to choose the food that they want to drink, whether it's me as a farmer choosing the customer who wants to buy my product or how I want to make my product. What is it about freedom that you that is so horrendous to you that you are willing to, to take my property, take my life, take my customers, take my animals, take my land, that you're willing to do this in order for me to not have the freedom to even um, sell a, a pork chop to my neighbor. It needs to be our choice what we eat and how to take care of ourselves. We get enough media uh, blitz, we get enough bombardment with advertising, $10 billion a year for our kids to eat junk food. We have to listen to all of that. Why shouldn't our voice be heard? And, and if we choose to not go with the flow, if we choose to go against the grain, unless it's sprouted, that is, we should be able to. And so uh, it's not as much I want to say that the, uh, or the health organizations, Food and Drug Administration, USDA, need to go fly a kite. What I, what I believe is we need to have the rights we've been given as Americans, and we need to be able to have the right to choose healthy foods. Food is the underlying way we're supposed to stay healthy. It's not visiting the doctor more often to get more and more drugs which have tr terrible side effects many times. It's about eating whole, unprocessed foods. That's what we've done for hundreds of thousands of years, very successfully. And we've somehow had a detour in the last 70, 80 years and, and lost the fermented foods and lost the whole foods and looked for that long extended shelf life dead food 
in our in our food paradigm, which is is horrible for what we are as bacterio sapiens. We need the bacteria, we need the enzymes, we need the wholeness of our foods to be healthy. Consumers have a fundamental inalienable right to produce and consume food of their own choice. And a consumer has a fundamental right to enter into a one-on-one -on -one contract with a farmer or even an agricultural producer to obtain the food that the consumer wants. Big companies aren't capitalists. They don't believe in free markets as much as small farmers and small business people do because they're competitive and they work hard. But the only way we can get this change is the people have to become so outraged that they get the attention of Congress. And when Congress hears about it, if it's in their interest because they like their job, and if they know that it might hurt the voting record, and, uh, uh, then, then uh, they'll pay attention. There aren't a lot of advocates right now for sustainable farming and organic farmers uh, within our government. And I'm hoping that the public pressure and the support of local foods is starting to push change because we're really um, messing up our environment and small farmers do a lot to support the land that we have and keep it clean. Intelligent people in this country are coming to second guess our farming and agricultural policies and saying, wait a minute, we may have been able to produce a lot of cheap food by this system, but was that healthy food? Some terrible things are happening out there. Fortunately, we do have good legal help now and we have the internet and we have ways of publicizing these things, but uh, it's America, wake up. I mean, this, uh, these things are starting to happen and if we don't have a huge outcry, it will uh, continue to happen. have it. Farmageddon. I remember back uh, right after 9-11 or maybe it was right right around that time one of the big lines of bull we got from George Bush and company they attacked us because they hate our freedom. Hmm. Kind of seems like all the state and federal organizations are attacking us for the same reason. They want every single person, man, woman, child, to be in lockstep and under their control. And if you're not, shame on you, because they can't handle that stuff. And we end up with, if I can get this button to work. There was that ant that stood up to me. But we can forget about him. Yeah, it was just one ant. Ooh. One ant. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's just one ant. Yeah, boss. They're puny. Hmm, puny? Say, let's pretend this brain is a puny little ant. Did that hurt? <laughs> nope. Well, how about this one? Are you kidding? <laughs> well, how about this? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. 
And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Yeah, it's not about food, raw food, organic food, whatever. It's about keeping all us little ants in line. And you know, when they attack one of these farms with a huge SWAT raid, the other farms that are doing the same kind of thing are going to hear about it. And they're going to get in line so it doesn't happen to them. That's what this whole thing is all about. And, of course, we've got um, our wonderful Constitution. And if you think it's wonderful, I'm, uh, that was tongue-in-cheek and air quotes, come back on Thursday. But Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution, no state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of mark and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debts. <laughs> Where's that been? Pass any bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts, or grant any title of mobility. So in other words, when these folks set up a private co-op where it's individuals contracting for a service, they have a constitutionally protected right to do so. And no state can make any law impairing that obligation of contract or the ability to contract amongst yourselves. Every single one of these raids is totally unconstitutional, unlawful, and they don't care. Just like all the other stuff in the Constitution that says the government can't do something, they don't care. Look how well this wonderful document that was supposedly inspired by God works. Yeah, why do we have 20,000 gun laws in the in the state when or in the country when every single one of them is unconstitutional? What part of shall not be infringed don't you idiots get? This whole thing is about control. We're being attacked from every direction. We've got the LGBTQ plus you know trans crap going on they're trying to destroy our children trying to destroy the next generation trying to keep people from uh, reproducing they're feeding us toxic uh, franken foods that make people uh, totally not totally but almost uh, impotent and uh, infertile and on top of that they give you bioweapon injections that further make you infertile and, and if you're pregnant at the time you take it you got an 82 percent chance of uh, having a spontaneous abortion everything that government does in this day is totally opposite of what it's supposed to be when you read the declaration of independence in the very first paragraph we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness to secure these rights governments are instituted among men in other words the whole reason for government is their existence is to secure and protect our rights and what are they doing just the absolute opposite in every single case you heard uh, one lady talking about how the i think it was in new york or maryland where the uh, so-called whatever their 
regulatory agency was originally designed to help farmers get their products to market. And now it's just the opposite, just to keep farmers from getting their products to market. This is just one more, and it's a very large uh, attack that so many people are totally unaware of. We have farmers all over the place that are being attacked. While this video was playing, I just did a real quick search for stories of farmers being attacked by the FDA. Just the FDA didn't mention anything else. And it came up with a boatload. Um, it doesn't say how many results there were, but first some details of Amish farmer story prove FDA and USDA. Uh, well, let's just open this up. Details of Amish farmer's uh, story prove the FDA and USDA should be dissolved completely. And uh, this is September 7th, 2023. Story about the Amish farmer who had his cattle seized by the authoritarian Biden-Harris regime has been circulating through the various stages for weeks. And uh, stupid pop-ups covered up my whole thing. Um, like many people, I heard the basic details and was just infuriated by it all. But a deeper dive into the story by James Corbett really opened my eyes. This isn't just a taste of food tyranny. This should be a lead story for evidence that the FDA, USDA, and all federal government agencies involved in the food tyranny must be dissolved completely. They're not here to protect us. They're only here to protect the globalist agenda. Bing, 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 bing. You think? Where did my article go? <laughs> I just clicked a button and it disappeared. Oh, there we are. Um... Let's see here. There, here. Here's a report and a video clip from Twitter user inv inversionism. <laughs> Trending looks like Elon has gone down the Pizzagate rabbit hole. The FDA and, U and the USDA and FDA should be considered terrorist organizations for what they do continually to small farmers and businesses. Similar to the Rossum raid, you know, we heard about that in California. These farmers were doing what's called a cow share where people in the community all pay up front and invest in a cow for milk or meat. This has been done by numerous farms all across the country as a means to avoid using meat processors and big business to just get clean, properly raised, healthy food without all the extra fees and government BS attached. It's the f perfect business model that supports local farmers and cuts out the criminal corporations and captured government organizations. As expected, the USDA and FDA can't have any of that happening because they are too busy allowing heavy metals, pesticides, plastics, and forever chemicals in your food or rubber stamping toxic COVID vaccines for your six-month-old child. So they went to this farm and took all his meat in fridges and freezers, took it to the dump, and threw it all away with a court injunction because he refused to listen to their unconstitutional dictates. This is the same food he fed his family with, but they didn't care. Thousands and thousands of dollars of nutrient-dense, quality animal foods all thrown away. The FDA and USDA all need to be completely dissolved. They don't protect public health. They destroy, destroy it. And it's infuriating. And I'm going to set up this streaming here real quick so we can watch this little video. 
if I can figure out which one. Ah, that's the one. There we go. Gotta get past the ad here. And where's the sound? That's weird. Hmm. Very weird. Why is there no sound? Oh, I know why. Because I don't have this new browser set up. Um, give me just a minute. And we will shut this one off. Bring it up. Sorry about that. I forgot. <laughs> I have to set up each browser as an audio source of my software. Otherwise, it doesn't come through. And I hadn't done this one yet because it's a new browser I started using a while back. By the way, uh, um, Yandex, it's a Russian browser, of, of, oddly enough, but it's really good. And let's get the thing set up here again for the sharing. Doo, 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 doo. Sorry. I don't know what that clicking in the background is. But let's see if I can make this thing, of course, a stupid pop-ups again. All righty. Scroll down, scroll down. Here we go. This trick to power your home for pennies has made energy companies furious. This simple trick could save you thousands. Oh, here's an enraging story for all of you. I uh, just came across this recently. Big government has come for this small town Amish farmer. Here's how he's fighting back. And this story from just earlier in August starts by saying they came with a search warrant, softly spoke Samuel B. Fisher a mild-mannered cattle farmer operating a 100-acre farm tucked away in Virginia's heartland. And they talk about his Golden Valley Farms with a link to the Golden Valley Farms website where you can discover that this is a farm that is in Farmville, Virginia, which should ring a bell because, of course, that's the hometown of new country hit sensation Oliver Anthony. And uh, it goes on to quote this father of five, um, saying, then they tag the meat so that we can't touch it, we can't sell it, we can't feed our family with it. All right, so what happened? What did this arch criminal do? Well, one thing led to another. Eventually, there was a visit from the Virginia Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services to this Golden Valley Farms, and they don't know what triggered that, that visit in, in particular, but what resulted from it, the state sought to penalize Fisher for selling meat that was not processed by a USDA-inspected facility, U.S. Department of Agriculture. Fisher processes an industry euphemism for butchering, his farm-raised meat on-site and sells it directly to his customers, feeding about 500 consumers and their families who are part of a buying club. As members enrolled in the Golden Valley Farms membership program, they've bought into Fisher's herd of 100% grass-fed golden Guernsey cows. Uh, they own part of the business. They own some of the herd, Fisher explained. My thinking was, we can butcher their cows, process it, and sell it to them. I told the state all of this, but they said, no, there's no way around that. You can't do that. They asked permission to get in here to search the farm. A request Fisher denied, and they told me, we'll be back, and left. Well, left for the time being, but of course they did come back the next day. And what did they do? They ended up slapping these administrative detention tags on all of the f freezers um, at the Fisher farm. 
um, all of them with this notice of termination of detention, which essentially meant that they could not, they were not allowed to access their own meats, not even to feed their own family, let alone to try to sell it to anyone. So this got slapped all over and they got in the position where literally they're sitting there thinking, well, this is our meat. We can't even eat it ourselves. This is ridiculous. They verified that and eventually um, they, they, inquired about it they were told no you can't touch it at all it's under administrative detention so they said well uh, we're gonna feed our children so they opened it up and started feeding their children and hey it's open we're gonna start selling and we're just gonna bring this to a head and to a head it was brought (laughs) um that's when the state took fisher to court escalating the meat's preliminary detainment to a court-ordered seizure bada bing bada boom they show up with the trucks and they start literally seizing and and taking all the meat um later that day the state wasted no time on pouncing on the court's order with glee within hours two men backed a u-haul truck right up to fisher's door cleared the premises of golden valley farms meat products and hauled it all to the dump for disposal yep there you go usda keeping you safe by taking all this meat and throwing it away um awesome Great stuff. And this article has a lot more detail. It goes into more detail about the Fisher case and associated cases, because you better believe it's not the only one out there. But it really does raise the interesting question, where and how and whence does this authority of the U.S. Department of Agriculture to tell individual farmers how to run and operate their business that paying willing consumers are literally buying memberships into... Uh, where where did this come from? How did this bureaucracy arise? Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, wasn't it Upton Sinclair, the jungle? Well, kind of, yes, but maybe not in the way that you're thinking, and certainly not for the purposes that you're thinking. If you, presumably as an American high school student, read the jungle and learned a little bit about the history of the jungle and the formation of the uh, Pure Dr- Food and Drug Act that led to the FDA, etc., if you think you know that history, uh, well, you probably don't. It's certainly not if you learned it from one of the uh, the history textbooks you got in high school. So let's rectify that today, shall we? Let's answer that little mystery of where this whole bureaucracy came from and how the U.S. government presumes to have the authority to take and seize people's private property like this. Um, because, again, the story is a lot more interesting and a lot more nefarious than you might otherwise suspect. Today, we're going to flash back to a 2016 edition of my Film, Literature, and the New World Order podcast, where I talked about Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. Strap in, folks. It's one hell of a ride. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Boy, that was tricky. (laughs) I want to see what he had to say, and now it's not there. That was the end of the video. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, I'll leave some time for people to jump in here. Go ahead, Brenda. It sounds like communism, straight up, you know? Back in, like, Nazi Germany, when they came in and took everything and sent you to the gas chambers and all that, um... I mean, that that one, I didn't get to see all that first one. I was on a phone call, but that was on a farm in Ohio, it says. So had you heard about that, them coming in? and There was, taking- one, there was one farm in, um, uh, oh, shoot, what's the name of it? I can't remember the town, but it's in northeastern Ohio. 
And no, I had not heard about that one. Um, it doesn't surprise me, though. Ohio is just as bad. When you get to the bureaucracy, the local counties and the, and the state, um, they're just as bad as most of the other states. Um, it's all about control. You're, you're yeah. going to do it our way whether you like it or not. You know, you have no rights. You know, you just think you do. And, um, but, yeah, it's, it's insane what's going on right now. I mean, taking people's own meat, like she said, all their, their whole beef and 70 chickens and all that from mm -hmm. that particular one. I mean, and then the other one, just taking all the meat and dumping it in yeah, the dump. away, <laughs> taking it to the landfill. Yeah, people are starving, and, uh, you know, that is just total insanity, totally ridiculous. And and like this guy was saying, yeah, who has the, the authority? Who, where's exactly. this coming from? They, yeah. have, they have no authority for that stuff. Yeah. You know, there's not a single federal agency, the FDA, the USDA, any of these things. They have no constitutional uh, authority for, for being in business, for existence. And... That's the thing. That's how well the Constitution works. It's supposed to be protecting us and telling the government what it can't do, and instead mm -hmm. it just lets them do anything they want. Yeah. Well, and even you get, you know, it starts, like we say, at your local um, sheriff and, and stuff. If you get corrupt of those in there, then it's okay to bar the door. And that's the thing. You know, if you happen to live in a local area where, you're, uh, where you have a constitutional sheriff, which is not very much, but if, if you're lucky enough to be in that area, you go to him and tell him that these guys are harassing me, get them off my back. And a good constitutional sheriff will put an end to that stuff. And I've heard of that happening in, in different areas. Um, I've heard, I believe in Ohio and Pennsylvania and a few other states where the, the government was attacking these guys, you know, whether they're Amish, Mennonite, whatever. And they got a hold of their sheriff and explained what was going on. The sheriff went to him and said, you ain't coming in here anymore. That's it. And that's the one thing that seems to work. You know, obviously, you know, we, we, we did shows here in the last year or so on, um, uh, what do you call them, um, private membership associations, PMAs, that are happening mainly out on the, on the east and west coast because that's where they're really being attacked with this stuff. And they're having some luck but some of these things you know the the quote co-ops that's basically a pma and you see what's going on without any complaints without any um nobody being injured or hurt or you know gotten sick they just come in with a with because you've got a corrupt court and that's the thing when the courts are corrupt everything's gone and when you get a judge that'll sign off on these things just for political reasons you're screwed and that's the only time when you're going to have the courts against the sheriff. And luckily, the sheriff's the one with the power. And, you know, that's what these people need to be doing. They need to be going to their sheriffs. And if the sheriffs won't do anything about it, they need to say, okay, your history. We're going to get us a real sheriff that's going to do what he's supposed to do. And um, otherwise, I don't see much happening on, on the good side of things. You know, as you saw, the, the ones that took you know, appealed their cases, they, they got shot down. They got shot down when they went the one that was in New York. The appeals court turned it down. They appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, yeah, we're not going to hear it. It's, it's crazy. People are just, 
you know, we're the ants. Ants got to yeah. stand up to the grasshoppers in mass. Yeah. Yeah, it's right here on the home plate battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but taking this stuff, you know, they just load them all up, you know, take the sheep to Iowa and kill them all, dissolve them in lye. <laughs> and here, this other one, they just load it all up, take it to the dump. Don't even test it, see if there's something. What's the reason for it being bad? Well, we don't care. He's just not operating the way we tell him to. So he's a bad person. Insanity. Anybody else have any uh, comments on this stuff? Got a little bit of time left. It's just, uh, it's disgusting what's going on. Yeah, Gord, go ahead. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. I don't know. I just, I'm just thinking, I don't think we're sticking up for each other enough. That's the problem. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We need to stick up for everybody. And if, and if we did, they would, I think they'd back off. Mm-hmm. It's the old knee molar thing. You know, they came for the whoever's and i wasn't one so i didn't stand up and then they came for everybody else and then finally there was nothing they came for me and there was no one else to stand up for me <laughs> that's yeah. right hit the nail on the head and, I'll and tell now you. we got way too many people and it's just getting out of line and getting out of line and i don't think it's going to get any better and they're not going to change overnight and say oh oh sorry you guys we're going to change today we're going to do it all better Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. Yeah, my daddy used to say, wish in one hand and poop in the other and see which one fills up first. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say poop either. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just unbelievable what we're dealing with. And, you know, this country, everybody talks about how free we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. We rattle our chains else? to celebrate our freedom, you know. Does anybody else there have any ideas? <laughs> Good question. You know, the whole thing is people got to stand up. We got to quit sitting on our butts, you know. You know, beer's cold, pizza's hot, game's on, go Bucks. you know. That's what everybody's yeah. doing. And yeah, well, no, I mean, that's, that's normal. We're just trying to live our life. But then we got exactly. all these interruptions. Yep. A lot of interruptions. That's, that's the problem with government every single time it's established. You have people that just want to live their lives and be left alone. They're the ones out there in the hinterlands. And then the ones who want to control everybody, they have a power-hungry need for, you know, having people subservient to them. And they're the ones that get the government jobs. You know, they never wanted to work for a living. They just want to lord it over everybody else. And that's where we're at now, everybody in government. And government always takes as much as you'll let them, and then some. And the only way to stop it is for everybody to stand up and say, no, we're not putting up with this anymore. I've got something here that I've just run across the last week, and y'all could look into it read some more on it. Um, you know, we listen to a few truthers, so, so to speak, and some, and one of them is Patriot Street Fighter on Telegram. Mm -hmm. he's just he's gone around uh touring and done speeches and talking about that we got to take this back on the local government and he's um promoting this tactical civics it's called and they're getting people to sign up in counties and um 
let me, um, let me, can I just read this little excerpt here? Sure. It says, uh, Justin Yingling something found out about the tactical civics by watching a podcast of Patriot Street Fighter, Scott McKay. Justin has been involved with a number of Patriot groups in his quest to make a difference in his community and the topic of citizen grand jury is one he's favored. Knowing about since he first learned of it, it's what captured his attention in Scott's podcast and what took him to the 11 minute video where he listened and smashed the big red button. Please help me welcome Butler County PA newest member, Justin, whatever his name is. So it's about if they get, I don't understand it all. I hadn't heard the full video of it, but he's talked about it. And on his uh, deal Telegram channel each day, he's always welcoming different ones. And it's something about if they get so many counties, people signed up in so many counties, then they can, um, you know, something about your your local. Um, Grand jury, um, grand jury. What did I say? No, what was I reading here? Um, Standish on the, and Ann Vandersteel is working in that, and uh, you know may have been one of the ones that helped get it started. But it sounds like it hadn't been going too long, but they're trying to get people in every state, you know, in every county, to to sign up to say they'll be a part of this, which I don't know there again exactly what it involves, but um, it's about, you know, our our citizens and our, our local grand juries getting them on board or something. So that's at a local level some way. So y'all might want to look into that or pull that up. Okay. Yeah, I just did another search. Does armed federal agents attack Amish farmer and PA for selling something? Amish farmer faces fines, prison time for refusing to comply. Uh, embattled Amish farmer's saga with USDA becomes grist for conservative movement. Conservatives milk the story of Amish farmer tied to fatal listeria outbreak. I would venture to say that that's probably a farmer that's being blamed for it when someone else did it um let's see here amish farmer under threat from u.s federal government for refusal to abandon something or other amish farmers are really catching heck on it you know they have been just because they're they do things their own way and i have never i you know we have a large amish community northeast of us and We've been buying stuff up there forever and have never had anything that wasn't top-notch, you know, excellent. And, you know, you can do a tour of their facilities and watch them making the milk and the cheese and all the other stuff that they do in the butter. But you can't do it right now because we're out of time. Appreciate everybody being here. We'll be back again tomorrow with who knows what, but you know, we'll try and make it interesting. I hope you enjoyed today uh, and hope you learned something today. Um, but if ever there was a time for everybody to stand up and support each other, this is it because they're coming for us one at a time and they're going to try and beat down the nails that stick up in an attempt to get everybody else under their control. So take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. 
And the best way to do that is with raw organic foods, <laughs> if you can find them. And we will see you all tomorrow. Take care and God bless. <laughs>